Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Hello and welcome to episode 117 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are John Farben, Ian McLaughlin, Peter Johnson, and I'm Hazel Chandler. It is buff or bluff time today, so this is where we get into some quite detailed nerdy trivia from film and TV. We try and make our fellow nerds guess incorrectly about which facts are true and which facts came from one of our particular orifices. (laughs) (laughs) So join us, won't you, as we start the show. Welcome back, Ian. It's been a while. It has been a how while. Are you? How are you? How are your insides? My insides are not so good, but the outside's pretty good. <laughs> not from here. Yeah. On the outside, I look perfect. On the inside, I'm falling apart. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, I have a hernia. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. End of discussion. I went to the workplace of Mr. Daniel Watkins, and I went on a movie tour that was written by him. All right. But it was very exciting. I had a 45-minute tour. So someone else was reading out his words. And at one point, one of my old before bluffs appeared <laughs> as a fact in the tour. So I am currently suing. And was it your bluff or was it the... It would have been better had it been a bluff. Had he forgotten, I've made it up. <laughs> well, I was at the Edinburgh Festival last weekend, uh, catching some bits and pieces. The main show we wanted to see was cancelled, unfortunately. Uh, was that Police Cops? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was cancelled, but... On the upside, I saw one of the best things I've ever seen on the Free Fringe. It was a clowning show called uh, The Ritual. Uh, the basic concept is a, um, a Dracula character and his minion, mm-hmm. his servant. His Why are you pointing to me when you say that? <laughs> you look like him. And you do it's have great. a sort of Redfield vibe. <laughs> yeah. And the show is brilliant because it's all about trying to start the show and the show never gets started. It's one oh, of the funniest it. things I've ever seen in my entire life. Just absolute genius. So I'm very happy to do Um, I was very lucky to go to a fan screening of a preview of The Rings of Power. (gasps) Saw the first two episodes at the Tyneside Cinema uh, with a packed crowd and it was amazing. On the glorious big screen. Yep, the classic screen. It looked amazing on the small screen, so I can imagine the big screen. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Free popcorn as well. No, it was. Um, should, we, should we have a chat about Rings of Power? Because sure. it's uh, yeah, yeah. first mm-hmm. two episodes available. I want to hear about Peter laying his pavement thing. In oh, yeah, I'm sorry. That's we, very exciting. We, Peter, we, Peter's patio. We buried yeah, the Peter's lead. Patio. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's exactly what Pete was doing. That's why we had to build a patio. <laughs> <laughs> Who have you buried under it? What? <laughs> Tell us about your patio power. My patio power. Uh, I don't think there's a story here to tell, really. I've been building a patio in the garden. <laughs> We, we used to have a flower bed. No, we don't have a flower bed. You're no, right. it's been turned into patio. I warned you. I told you that. <laughs> How do we get a segue back to the Rings of Power? Because that's where we're... It's actually, we'll have more production I'm, I'm, stuff I'm, I'm looking use. forward to back referencing the patio throughout the podcast. <laughs> yeah. so Peter can't edit that bit out. Please, please pledge to include that bit. Otherwise, I'm not moving on. <laughs> Is it flat? <laughs> actually, patios can't be flat. Because then oh, the water puddles. You don't want your water puddling. No. Speaking of a great construction, should we talk about the Rings of Power? <laughs> <laughs> it's that's, a, that's the best segue I've ever yeah. heard in my life. That's genius. Episode Thank one you. has a lovely patio, doesn't it, at the back? 
<laughs> back of the Hobbit's den. I know the Harfoots and Lord of the Rings all have quite Irish accents, don't they? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and the main one is Pat EO. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to deck you if you're not careful. <laughs> oh, good one. Yeah, so I managed to see the Tyneside Cinema. The first two episodes are now available on Amazon Prime. I think it's eight episodes in total, but a total production budget of $465 million. Oh, you know, Money, isn't it? Nearly $60 million an episode. And that's not counting the $250 million that they bought the rights for. Oh, I thought that included that. Mm. That is a lot of money. Wow. Yeah. And that also was only the rights for the appendices, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So this is set a couple of thousand years before Frodo and Sam. We do get a familiar start, though, because you know, Galadriel uh, did the voiceover for Lord of the Rings. She does a voiceover here. She's younger. She's much younger. Well, elf-speaking. <laughs> yeah. Um, we start with a young Galadriel, and then um, we see her played by Morford Clark. Uh, she becomes a warrior, and the... The basis story is she's intent on tracking down Sauron, who has caused absolute calamity across Middle-earth, but suddenly the darkness has disappeared and no one knows where Sauron is. So as Ian mentioned, we've got some Hobbit characters, Hobbit, sorry, I should say maybe for legal purposes, Hobbit-like characters, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, called the Harfoots. They stumble across a bit of a giant problem, unintended. We do have the race of men who are clearly the worst. They have to be watched by elf soldiers in case they do anything rash, like join Sauron again. And then my favourite characters who we meet in episode two are the dwarves. Um, And there are some really, really fun sequences between the dwarves and Elrond. And he essentially has to prove his loyalty because he didn't call them for a while. (laughs) He ghosted the dwarves. He ghosted the dwarves. He didn't give them a ring. Oh, (sighs) very good. Yeah. Um, So I love the characters. I love the locations. It's um, they're not actually ones that we recognise from Lord of the Rings, but it's still Middle Earth. Hugely ambitious project. It looks amazing. And I just was grinning from ear to ear whilst I was watching it. Loved it. I echo uh, your sentiments exactly. I think it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, behold, to be dragged into a, a world again mm-hmm. that's both familiar and new. Mm-hmm. The Harfoots are absolutely hilarious. Lenny Henry, kind of like the elder of the village, is absolutely brilliant in it. And uh, the Elder Grey and the Dwarfs are just oh. exactly how you expect them to be. It's just hilarious, Glaswegian yeah. thumping. and the uh, Everything's got to be a contest. <laughs> the poor elf has to prove himself by smashing rocks against a dwarf and they spend hours and hours. It's almost like a, yeah. it's almost like the scene in Cool Hand Luke where Cool Hand Luke has to eat eggs in a competition uh, and it just goes on for hours and hours then bashing a single Doesn't rock. sound very exciting. <gasps> I shall ignore that. <laughs> that was a terrible yoke job. Oh. <laughs> But yeah, I think it's definitely yeah. worth watching. Uh, yeah. uh, if you let go of the original Lord of the Rings and just kind of buy yourself into the new world, you're not you're not comparing it. And uh, so far, I'm mightily impressed. Mm. My experience is a bit different. We've only seen the first episode, and uh, though it looks amazing, the special effects are fantastic. Some of the battle scenes are incredible. The number of people you see moving around, but just the story didn't grab me at all. Mm. House of the Dragon, I kind of knew where I was and what mm. was happening much more and it might be some of it might be just my lack of familiarity with the tolkien world i mean i've i've read lord of the rings and the hobbit when i was little We're i've seen a few of the hear movies a confession <laughs> <laughs> what haven't you seen uh i haven't seen at least the third lord of the rings movie shame i don't shame. think i've seen either of the later two hobbit movies but that's less of a shame <laughs> from what i gather i don't think i've seen the second half of return of the king shame mm. I think because 
I never saw any of them in the cinema. We, I got the extended editions on DVD and they were across two discs. Mm. And I think I watched the first half of Return of the King and couldn't be arsed getting up and putting the second disc in. <laughs> I never, never saw the conclusion. I'm not sure whether you'll get past episode one or not of, <laughs> of uh, Ring of Power either. These, these are some of my favourite films growing mm. up. I uh, mm. just love that world so much. But you are right that the first episode is a lot of the classic sort of politics and talking around the, the yeah. world. In But yeah. second episode really starts to pick oh, yeah. up. Yeah. The, the action happens. And also the um, the orcs in the second episode are genuinely scary mm-hmm. and genuinely frightening creatures. Hmm. It was nice seeing uh, Lenny Henry again, though. You don't see him act that often. No, he was brilliant. Really, yeah. really good in it. Maybe they just needed a, a knight instead of Siri and McCullough near have Sir Lenny Henry. Yeah. Well, episode two. Who knows who might turn up, we think, or don't know. What? <laughs> have you seen episode two? Yeah. Yeah. Catch a falling star and yes. put it in your pocket. I have theories about that one. I have two. Mm, interesting. Mm. <laughs> no idea what the two yeah, are. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> I'm very confused. Yeah, I'm very behind on TV. I've not seen any Game of Thrones yet either. So I need to have a proper fantasy catch-up over this week. So how would you compare it to House of the Dragon? I've not seen House of the Dragon uh, yet. I have. I've been a little bit put off by things that I've been hearing discussed, and I'm not sure whether to donate the time to it. I've, I've also heard mm-hmm. from some women who had been through a similar birth experience themselves and actually mm-hmm. liked seeing it up on screen. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm just a l- I think I probably will. Just, uh, mm-hmm. you know what, I have been, I've been absolutely loving Bad Sisters, which I reviewed a couple mm-hmm. of episodes mm-hmm. ago. Oh! <gasps> Yeah, I've seen two of those. They're really good. I like the characters and I like mm-hmm. the slow reveal of the mystery as well. Yeah. It's very reminiscent of Pretty Little Liars or Pretty Little um, Things or what was the yes. Amer- an American series? Yes. Nicole the, did you mean Reese Witherspoon? Yeah. Pretty Little Lies? Something like something that? Like, there are so yeah. many series with almost <laughs> the same title. They just swap the words around. Yeah, but they're very different beasts. The Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. Very, very different. Even though they have the same kind of mystical, magical worlds. Lord of the Rings, I think, mm-hmm. still connects me to my childhood and, yeah. and, and the child within myself, which I really enjoy, whereas Game of Thrones so tends that's to kind not of... not a child, it's a hernia. <laughs> <laughs> but Game of Thrones is definitely a, a kind of more adult kind of look into mm-hmm. the world. And I did really enjoy the first episode and, and Bev had to leave the room in mm. the scene we're talking about because oh, it right. is okay. very visceral. Oh. But I think in context, it, it, it yeah. sets it up really well. That's a quasi-recommendation, then. Well, if you ask me um, which one of the two to watch, I would say Lord of the Rings. Woohoo! I would say the opposite. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is our buff or bluff quiz. We have three facts, I assume, some people break the rules, but normally we have three facts. Uh, two of them are true. One of them has been made up. And it's our job to try and work out the bluff. Who would like to go first? Nintendo. Mm. Mm. Wholesome family Nintendo. Oh, dear. You know, um, famously, you know, the Mario and so on, but there is a CD side to Nintendo. <laughs> of course there is. Nintendo have made over the years various products of love. <laughs> Why is love seedy? Let's see. Okay. <laughs> Depends who's doing it. So these are three products that Nintendo have been involved in that shows their sexier side. 
think Yoshi in a bikini. (laughs) (laughs) Number one is the Nintendo Love Tester. And it was basically a device where you and a lady each held one side of a device. You then held hands and a little indicator told you how compatible you were. Obviously, Love Tester machines exist, but this was a specific Nintendo one made in the 1960s with the aim of encouraging ladies to hold men's hands. Sluts. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I retract now. <laughs> Apparently, the, the Japanese in the 1960s were notoriously chaste in their lovemaking, and it, you had to encourage a lady to be allowed to hold your hand, and the Love Tester was a way of, of doing that. What shape was this object? <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of kind of circular and smooth and mm-hmm. just the right size. Okay, lovely. Discreetness. Secondly, Nintendo ran a chain of love hotels. These were hotels in Japan where you could rent them by the hour and discreetly pay somebody without them seeing your face as you left. You could take your lady, whether paid for or not, but generally they did tend to be ladies that have been paid for, mm-hmm. to a love hotel, rent a room for an hour, then sneak out without anyone seeing you pay. You could put, sometimes you put some money in a little tube and put it through a slot, so you could anonymously take your lover for an hour of Nintendo lovemaking. <laughs> Do you get the little sounds? When, <laughs> if you can make Thirdly, the Nintendo Love Camera. Now, this was a prototype that never actually got made, and it was uh, for the Game Boy. And the, if anybody remembers the Game Point Camera, which mm. is a, a genuine cartridge you could plug into a Game Boy and you could take photos and then print them out on basically like heat paper. Yeah. And if you imagine Terrible what a Game Boy, yeah, if you imagine what a Game Boy screen was like, and you can imagine what the quality of the photographs was. So they prototyped the Nintendo Love Camera, and you would take a photo of somebody. And Mario would appear and you'd say, hey, it's Mario, go say hello. Or, hey, it's Mario, this is a no-no. <laughs> and that was where they were, you would approach the person and introduce yourself or not with the camera. And it got to prototype and then finally one Japanese executive realised that this was incredibly inappropriate and was just encouraging people to take photographs of Japanese women on the streets. So those are three lovely uh, Nintendo products ooh. of love. Oh, I have questions. Okay. <laughs> the hotel, was it branded as a Nintendo hotel? No, well, yes, it was a chain of Nintendo hotels. In a particular area? I don't think there was about 30 or 40 of them at one point across Japan. This was before Nintendo was the company it is now. So in the 60s and 70s, they expanded a lot and they did things like, I think they made instant rice for a while. They ran a taxi company, Nintendo taxi company. they started as a playing, a playing card, card company. company. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And then they made pachinko machines and things like Arcade that. Arcade machines, uh, lots of toys. There's an excellent book where I got one of these from called Before Mario, which is a, a collection of like a really nice coffee table book of all the things they did before they started making games consoles. Mm. I'm pretty certain that the Love Hotel idea is true. So you're saying like the niche of the Nintendo Hotel was that they could digitally alter your image so that if you were to do something... No, no, it just it was just anonymous. So you would go in and nobody would see you go in. You'd, you'd have like a hour. Princess Peach on your head or something. Yeah, something like that, okay. yeah. 
So I, I know of love hotels where mm. you can indiscreetly take a partner, shall we say, yeah. for some lying down mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some do horizontal that. running. So that sounds very viable. It's 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 whether Nintendo got into that mm-hmm. business. Market, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure Nintendo were kind of just grasping at everything, trying to find out where they were in the world and what right. things to invest in. I could, certainly I could imagine the love tester one being yeah, plausible. I can imagine that. That was like used on game shows. I, and... I had a very similar device. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. In the 70s, basically measures electrical resistance. So you can hold yeah. hands with someone and the thing between you, it measures mm-hmm. the stupid little trick. Did Nintendo do one? I don't know. And what was the third one again? The third one was the uh, camera adapter. Stalker vision. <laughs> sort of, yeah, where you could take yeah. a photo and it would... What do you reckon, Peter? Did you think it was too early for that or not? I mean, they... It was a prototype, you said, though, wasn't it? It never got released. Yeah, yet, it got released. Yeah. It's possible, and it's certainly less contentious than a love hotel. Right. And there, there was a so was terrible like, camera was for Was it more like, sort of like a Polaroid? Almost like till receipt paper it would print on. Thermal paper. Yeah. Like a stab in the dark. In the, in the, in the, in the love hotel. hotel. <laughs> <laughs> stab in the dark uh, in the love hotel. I'm going to go with love hotel as being the bluff. Can you talk a little bit how the machine worked, the love machine? Like, so two people would hold on to the device and hold hands with each yeah. other. What, like, what would happen on the screen? Or? It would be like it, it, it was like a compatibility chart. So, how much in love you were from zero to one hundred, right. and it, the little arrow would flicker to the correct percentage. And it was all about trying to get women to hold your hand. Mm-hmm. It's just electrical resistance. Yeah. It depends on how wet your hands are. Essentially, <laughs> I think the the biggest plot hole for me was is a hotel i think that's just a bit too cd for nintendo it's a very different line of business as well yeah as in the others are all kind of allied to the same sort of arcade Mm -hmm. background yeah i'm gonna go for that one you're all wrong (laughs) (laughs) nintendo did have love hotels in the 60s uh the love tester was a real device yeah there was not a camera you could point at ladies that would go, hey, it's me, Mario, go and say hello. <laughs> Which I thought was clearly nonsense, but... <laughs> that bit, I didn't believe it was the actual technology I believed. <laughs> but the Game Boy camera was a real terrible product. Yeah, I think your your context and sort of history behind that might have like, <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 that's a thing. Damn it. Do you ever have one, Damn Peter? you. No, I didn't. <laughs> Jump with the fish. Sexy fish. Oh, the red oh, fish. Yes. Yeah, and it you hold yeah. your hand and it will yeah. flip over. A little, sort of little paper fish and you put it in your hands and it tells you how like sensual or whatever it were you were yes. by how mm-hmm. much it curled up. Measuring mm-hmm. static electricity. <laughs> there was just heat, I think. It was a heat, yeah. heat sort of mm-hmm. reactive paper. I used to love it. Right? Mm-hmm. I used to rub my hands really hard beforehand and put it on and go, hey, look at me. <laughs> I'm definitely worth dating. I'll prove it with my love tester. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I can only afford a hotel for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Jordan Peele's Nope last night. Nope. Which I'll perhaps come to in a next recommendations episode. And it reminded me very strongly of Tremors, which I've always loved. I have three bits of trivia about Tremors. Tremors is a 1990 tribute to 50s monster movies. It's also a great fun film with memorable characters and real scares. Like anything moderately successful, it became a franchise with seven movies and 13 episodes of a 2003 TV series. So, number one. When it wasn't a hit, Kevin Bacon thought his career was over. For years, he refused to acknowledge the film and called it the worst thing he ever did. Mm-hmm. Number two. The producers were worried about being sued by the producers of Dune, 
so they asked for changes to the monsters as described in the original script. So the sandworms have tentacles coming from their mouths. Number three. The sounds of the Graboids can be heard in Predator 2, Starship Troopers and Kong Skull Island. Mm. You say early 90s? Uh, yes, it was. I think it was 1990. Okay. Well, Just trying to think of the, the Kevin Bacon career trajectory. Because that was after Footloose and mm-hmm. just before A Few Good Men. I've heard him talk about it quite fondly more recently. Mm. I think, didn't he appear, they made a TV pilot last year that didn't get picked up. They, I think 2017, that, they yeah. made a second TV pilot and he was in the pilot, but it never went to series. Mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon strikes me as a, a, a lovely man who would never kind of talk trash about anyone or anything. I'm not sure about that one. Mm. I could imagine how he might just not talk think about a, a low budget because it was sci-fi horror film might ruin his career when he's already done mm. a couple of big hits. I, was it a flop when it came out? I thought it was quite well. I don't know. I liked it. <laughs> you know, it was, yeah, and it was enough to, you know, there were sequels fairly quickly. Whether it was something that wasn't great at the cinema and then became out like a home video. Could you remind us of the um, the sound effects, the other movies that it's... Uh, yes. That was that the sound of the Graboids can be heard in Predator 2, Starship Troopers and Kong Skull Island. Can anyone recreate the sound? Well, Hello. The, the original Predator sound from the first movie is the sound of a jackdaw slowed down. It goes... You can actually hear it. If you've got the park, you hear it sometimes. You mm. go, oh my God, there's a Predator there somewhere. So I'm wondering if that makes the same sound effect. Mm. When did Predator 2 come out? After Predator 1. Yes, but <laughs> did, it, ooh, did it come out all tremors? Well, Predator was 1987, yeah. so they wouldn't have a lot, lot of time for a Predator 2 came to come out. came out fairly quickly, though. Mm. This is annoying, because I, I watched Predator 2 the day before yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, isn't it? It's fucking awful, man. Oh. <laughs> but in a brilliant way, it's just, it's just really like batshit it. crazy, isn't mm. it? It's just lots of swearing and fighting and not much story. Mm. John, you're our copyright expert. Number two? <laughs> I don't think I'm... I mean, your description of the Graboids is accurate. About the tentacles and stuff like that, but I, uh-huh. the thing was, did they change that to avoid copyright? With uh, June, I, like, I mean, it didn't bother Beetlejuice, did it? But that that was wearing a Tim Burton stripy black yeah. and white sweater. <laughs> I don't think you can copyright a worm. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's the bluff. Maybe because I don't think you can copyright a worm. I don't know. Maybe they were worried about copyright. Maybe they were worried about comparisons. Yeah, I'm going Kevin Bacon. Okay. Maybe making changes, I don't know. Okay. I'll, I'll say the worms is a bluff. Yes, so the fact was that Kevin Bacon basically disowned it for a while. Mm-hmm. Though it wasn't great in the cinema, it actually made three times as much on VHS as it did in the cinema. And Bacon later came round to it saying it was the most fun he ever had filming a movie. Oh, so he did initially He did, it? yeah, that oh. is true, yes. Uh, and apparently also he never watches his own movies more than once. Mm. And some he doesn't even watch once. Lucky guy. Yeah. But he now says Tremors <laughs> is the exception, and he's watched it at least a dozen times. Mm. The sounds of the Graboids can be heard in Predator 2 and Kong Skull Island. Another weird sound thing, the Graboids were originally going to be able to do impressions, so they could do sounds that they heard. <laughs> they could fake the sounds of other people and things like that that they heard, but they just decided that was just Shit. a step too far. <laughs> yeah. Good guy, good guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
And for the second one, yeah, I made up the idea that the tentacles were added for that. The tentacles were actually added because it was going to be too expensive to shoot lots of shots with the big worms by just having the tentacles made loads of the shots much cheaper than they would have been otherwise. You can't copyright a worm. <laughs> Some other weird bits of trivia. Bruce Campbell and Ray Liotta were both considered for Kevin Bacon's role. Mm. I'd like to see Bruce Campbell do it. The little girl on the pogo stick has a bit of form with monsters because she's the little blonde girl in Jurassic Park. Looking at me like I've seen the movie, I've no idea what you're talking have you about. Not, <laughs> oh, well, you and Andy must get around to seeing this. Uh, he revealed he hasn't seen it yet last night. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Michael Gross, who plays the doomsday prepper with all the guns, appears in all seven movies and the TV series. I think I've got a box set on DVD of the first three films somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've stuck with it beyond those. Probably a good thing. <laughs> so my buff or bluff is quite specific. Mm-hmm. It's uh, all about the classic 80s science fiction TV series, Book Rogers in the 25th <laughs> century. <laughs> right. Beedly, beedly. Uh, in case you haven't seen it, you have a shameful gap. I'm looking at a certain person in the room, but uh, I'm not <laughs> so sure it's true or not. It's, uh, uh, the, the, the premise is um, a 20th century squashbuckling sexist astronaut accidentally gets transported to the 25th century via some timey-wimey shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, his sexist, shoot-first, ask-questions-later attitude is surprisingly refreshing for the 25th century. <laughs> so they make him like a cop kind of thing <laughs> to help things out. And so it's basically him in the 25th century. It's uh, like a reverse life on Mars. It is, something uh, like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But his sidekick for these his shenanigans during the series is a robot. Uh, it's a three-foot-tall silver robot that looks like a looks like a Cyberman that's been left out in the in, in the sun too long and shrunk. Okay. Called Tweaky. Mm-hmm. So these three questions are about Tweaky the Robot. <laughs> which one of these is a bluff and which two are true? Tweaky the Robot's catchphrase was biddy, biddy, biddy. It would go like that before it spoke in some kind of... Um, which roughly translates as... Old lady, old lady, old lady. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, let's start with that then, because <laughs> our first question is, Tweaky the Robot's uh, famous phrase was biddy, biddy, biddy. But it had to be redubbed for the Hindi audience because biddy... In mm-hmm. Hindi means sex, so it was uh, the robot <laughs> sex, saying sex, sex, sex. sex, sex. So, so Buck Rogers had a sex robot. Yeah. It's built by Nintendo. Tweaky's <laughs> voice is, of course, uh, uh, voiced by legendary Mel Blanc. He did Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig. But apparently, his last recorded words on the day that he was rushed into hospital before he died were, as they recorded it for an advert he was doing, was that's all folks. Mm. And in the movie, uh, in second series, uh, Tweaky falls in love with an unnamed female robot who works in a restaurant who has a rather large metal butt. And her catchphrase <laughs> is booty, booty, booty. Booty, we need to. That's got to be the main up which, one. Hasn't which it? one of those is <laughs> great. You know, have you watched the latest episode of She Hulk? <laughs> no, I haven't watched anything yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. I thought, I thought you might have been inspired. <laughs> So is it is it the fact that it was redubbed for Hindi um, um, from um, biddy biddy biddy, which means sex sex sex? Is uh, Mel Blanc's last words recorded? Uh, that's all, folks. Which is Porky Pig's uh, catchphrase, and in most of the cartoons. Or did Tweaky fall in love with a female robot with a big ass? <laughs> and her catchphrase was booty booty booty. I don't know where from, but some kind of distant memory is telling me that someone's got that's all folks on their on the gravestone i think yes. it's him mm-hmm. right so it's not the last words he went to hospital it's the tombstone 
I'm pretty sure it's on his tombstone. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, the first one, I think, is true. I think mm. I've heard that somewhere yeah. before. And again, I've heard that's all folks, but it may be that it's on his tombstone, but it rings a very, very vague bell. And the third one sounds exactly like something he would make up. Mm. <laughs> does, doesn't it? So on that basis, I'm going to go for the third one being the bluff. You mean the, 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 the female robot? The female robot. So, so you're going for the female robot, booty, booty, booty. Yeah. yeah. You're going for... <laughs> I've just I got a big booty in my head. Big booty, big booty. <laughs> booty, big booty. Um, yes, I'm going for the second one. That's all, folks. Uh, that's all, folks. I'm going for a big ass. <laughs> which is the bluff? <laughs> well, uh, Tweaky does actually fall in love with a female robot with a big bum and their catchphrase is booty, booty, oh. booty. That is true. I'm so looking forward to the 25th century. <laughs> and uh, Mel Blanc's last recorded words, apart from being on his tombstone, were, that's all folks. The bluff is biddy biddy biddy, <laughs> meaning sex in Hindi. Oh, God. <laughs> so the one we all believed <laughs> in the words. <laughs> booty, booty, booty. I couldn't believe it. I looked it up today. It's hilarious. He goes biddy biddy biddy, and she goes booty booty booty, <laughs> biddy, biddy. and it's about five minutes. The scene just looked like, okay, but like just cutting backwards and forwards with the, the, the robot's not even moving. Biddy biddy biddy, booty booty booty. But Roger's going. Let's give him a moment, shall we? Maybe we should let give him a room somewhere. <clears throat> Awful show. Hated it. It was all the, yeah. watched every episode. Who was the century and all the women wear really short skirts and stockings. Mm. And it's good because no one looks at you in that way in the 20th century, so you can wear those sorts oh, of things. How liberating. <laughs> yeah, how liberating. Yeah. But then but Roger Sons just goes, oh, no. <laughs> for like two series. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Hazel, what have you got for us? Yes. All right. So this time last week, I had the great pleasure of going to see a double bill of The Mummy and The Mummy Returns at the Tyneside Cinema. Mm. Um, so quick story before I get to my bluff. The Mummy from 1999, it's one of the films that truly ignited my passion for movies. I basically, I'd watch the film, rewind it and watch it again. And I did that for days. <laughs> um, I was really, really excited for The Mummy Returns as well. And so that came out, it coincided with um, my uncle coming back and making a rare trip to the UK from Australia. And he took me to legendary cinema, the Kinema in the Woods in Lincolnshire. Now, the thing you need to know about my uncle is that his laugh is louder than most car horns. It's just a wonderful, booming laugh. And he laughed a lot during The Mummy Returns. Like everyone like turned around in their seats and looked at us. And it was just one of my favorite cinema experiences ever. Like when The Rock came onto the screen, he was like... <laughs> it was just... It was, it was when amazing. the CGI rock came on at the end, what was the reaction? <laughs> Actually, funny story about that, um, because everyone thinks like, oh, CGI is terrible. But the CGI artists get a bit of a bad rap for that because the Rock's schedule at the time, because he was still a wrestler, he was only available for three days. So he came out and did some stuff, but they never got to photograph his face in the way that they needed to, to create the Scorpion King. So they basically had to recreate him totally from zero. Uh, and they didn't have enough time to do that which is why it's not particularly heralded as a great special effect, but it's not the fault of special effects artists. They did generally did the best that they could. I saw a YouTube clip where some guys with a home PC just basically sat and fixed it. I mean, obviously it's like 20 years later, so you can yeah. do that. And they sat and in a day fixed it and made it look really, really good. Mm. It just shows how far te technology has come. Technology. Yeah. Mm. So um, 
I was very excited about seeing the films again. Um, they didn't disappoint. And what was also added to the experience is that during the interval, they played an interview with one of the visual effects supervisors, um, Ed Kramer. Um, he'd heard the Tyneside were putting this night on and he offered to come and share some stories. So my buffer bluff is about some highlights from Ed Kramer's career. Mm. Just to be clear, because when I Googled him, <laughs> I got a bit of fright. So this is Ed Kramer, the visual effects supervisor, senior director at um, ILM. Uh, he worked on Jurassic Park 2. He created the Quidditch se sequences for Harry Potter. Um, he worked on Galaxy Quest, Pirates of the Caribbean. It is not the Ed Kramer, part owner of Dragon Con Media and convicted child molester. <laughs> Two very different people. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that the bluff? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Okay. So he's responsible for, for lighting and servicing on CGI characters and, and objects to make them look like they're really in the same environment as uh, the live action actors. Uh, fact number one is about his work on The Mummy. He supervised all of the scarab beetle shots. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The uh, flesh-eating bugs. They could stay alive for hundreds of years. So the scarabs, they're not black. They're actually quite shiny. They have an almost iridescent look. And that look was borrowed. It was borrowed from a guy called Chris Townsend, who was working on episode one, The Phantom Menace, in the next office over. And he was doing the Boss Nass shots in the Gungan underwater city. And he'd worked out this technique for Boss Nass's shoulder pads. And it's the same technique that Ed Kramer used for the scarabs. So the scarabs in The Mummy owe their existence in part to Boss Nass mm. and his shoulders. Fact number two. Before he started at ILM, he helped animate the Columbia Pictures Lady with a Torch logo that opens every movie from that studio. He was working with two VFX legends, Jeff Kleiser and uh, Joel Hynek, who are famous for creating the Predator invisibility effect. They took Ed for a flight in their private jet. They looked down at the clouds below and they were amazed to see a perfectly circular double rainbow on top of a cloud. And all three of them had the same thought. That is perfect for the Columbia Pictures logo. So Ed got uh, to work in Wavefront, and they figured out how to add that colourful double rainbow to the logo. Number three. Ed Kramer left the movie business in 2006, just after Pirates of the Caribbean 2 in order to spend more time with his wife and family. So now he carefully chooses projects that greatly interest him, and he's become known as the go-to person for laser and lighting shows around the world. His most famous achievements include Imagine, uh, which is showcased at the D uh, Dubai Festival City Mall. It's a nightly outdoor show which holds two world records. It uses a high-rise hotel as a screen for the largest permanent video projection, and it's the largest water screen projection, allowing images to float in midair on a curtain of mist, which is not unlike the way the mummy looks during the sandstorm and the water sequences in, uh, in The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. So, lots of information thrown at you there. Which one is the bluff? Mm, difficult, because they're all very viable, mm -hmm. aren't they? Couldn't see any plot holes in there. <laughs> Certainly the first one, the idea that uh, the shader, which does the sort of rendering, mm -hmm. uh, might be borrowed from one thing to another makes sense. For instance, mm -hmm. you have things like an isotropic shaders that do hair in the particular way it catches the light. For an iridescent thing, you'd have a thing that looked at the relative angle of the light and yeah. chose mm -hmm. particular colours. 
So, so that's basically that's borrowing someone's programming that they've, mm-hmm. yeah. that they've mm-hmm. made. They've made a plug-in mm-hmm. yeah. being true. Why not? And they are very iridescent characters. Mm-hmm. Do you need to be on a plane to think of doing two rainbows? <laughs> well, if you look for inspiration and you look out the mm-hmm. window and you see something and that hits and that happens, doesn't it? Yeah, we all know the, the Columbia Pictures logo. So it's a mm-hmm. lady mm-hmm. holding a torch with clouds behind her and these like... Um, Two circular rainbows coming I out from the torch. Never noticed the rainbows. Hmm? I must admit, I hadn't either. Feel free to Google it. Hmm. It's called the Mandela effect. Mm-hmm. How well we're convinced something is real, but it never really happened. So why is it applied to Mandela? Because people Did absolutely he believed he was dead. Mm-hmm. Like literally, ninety-five percent of the world assumed he had died. Mm-hmm. Said, "Yes, he's definitely dead. I've seen it on TV, and it didn't happen." I was very confused when they announced the death of Gorbachev the other day because I was convinced he died ten, yes, about 10 years same. ago. Yeah. yeah, There's an older version there that looks like it doesn't have them. So they've obviously changed the logo to add those concentric circles at some point, mm-hmm. which suggests that that's probably true. Except to me, they look like internal reflections on um, lens geometry. Mm-hmm. That's what the, where those sort of circular things normally come from. I think that it is such a specific odd thing to have changed for Hazel to have seen that and then made up a completely different story as to why they were there. Mm-hmm. Don't credit her with that much intelligence. <laughs> 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 I think the Scabber Beetle is the bluff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe it came from something else. Maybe it did come from that. It, but not specifically from Boss Nassie's armour. I mean, it would be the best thing to come out of that film. <laughs> Has anyone been on the Mummy ride in um, Universal yes, Studios? Yeah. yeah, really no. good. There's a cool bit on that where you go through it and basically it's just like wall projections, but suddenly the room fills with scarabs that drop all like the sides and the front. And then there's a little burst of air in the bottom of the seats. So you look down and you can feel them like crawling over your feet. Quite scary. Goes backwards? Yeah, in the it dark goes backwards as well, that yeah. roller coaster. And there's a big bit where the mummy appears and fires flames at you. Mm. Yeah. Right, come on then. What do we reckon? Uh, I'm going to go rainbow. I'm going to go rainbow. I'm going scallop. So the fact that none of you brought up asked me any questions about, which is the third one, is the bluff. <laughs> I completely made that one up. Um, <laughs> Um, at the moment, he is a computer graphics professor at the Rocky Mountain College of Art and Design in, in uh, Colorado. But he is working on a documentary and a book called The Wizards of Hollywood. And it focuses on the people who actually did the work uh, behind the scenes for um, industry changing movie moments. Mm, sounds interesting. But yeah, um, so when he um, did his interview, uh, he talked about um, working at ILM and working next door to uh, the people who are working on The Phantom Menace at the same time and just chatting about techniques. And they're like, that seems like a good idea. And so that one is true. And yeah, um, in an interview, he talks um, quite extensively about his role with the rainbows and the mm-hmm. logo. Imagine spending months of your life on that and being so proud of it and then listening to a podcast and someone goes, she looks like a lens flare. <laughs> <laughs> does look like a lens flare. Just, I just kind of assumed that you know, a career in doing laser and light shows after a career, that was, mm-hmm. I just presumed that would be the way forward in your later years yeah, if you were working sense. in cinema. Yeah, so it was a good, good bluff. See, I am intelligent, John. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone watched the new series on ILM that's on Disney at the moment? Not yet, that's really good. Is it? In terms of access to sort of all the background detail and stuff, 
lots of footage of them working on Star Wars and mm. using all the models and all that sort is of thing. Is it very Star Wars heavy or does it cover other stuff as well? Not too much. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I've only seen two episodes so far and the second one is all about Star Wars, but the, the one before was more about how they kind of got the gang together. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was improvised and thrown together and that almost pirate attitude to things is yeah. quite fun. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if The Mummy was the movie that I watched on VHS and rewound constantly, is, did you do that for any movies when you were growing up? The bit in America where in London where Jane Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. And a similar part in Logan's Run. Yeah. <laughs> Jaws probably, Goodfellas, mm-hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark earlier on. Robocop. There was a, there's a few that were like on repeat. Mm-hmm. So one example of the Mandela effect is, you know, uh, on the box of Monopoly, the Monopoly man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does he have a monocle? No. no. Yes. No, no, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but 95% of people are convinced he has a monocle. Hmm. What about the moon landing? That, that was a false. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen a painting of King Henry VIII holding a turkey leg? <laughs> no. <laughs> it didn't exist. Terrible example. I mean, I could draw I, a picture of him holding a turkey leg. So are these things people think should be? It's like the brain Perhaps. filling in what it yeah. doesn't yeah. remember, isn't it? But it becomes universal. Mm. We all start to believe the same thing. Mm. Like Mandela died in, in jail in the 80s. No, he didn't. Stop he, saying he got, that. He got, re- <laughs> <laughs> he got released. Every time you say it, you're just reinforcing it for someone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you kind of remember being president of South Africa for a while and beating the Spice Girls. Mm. <laughs> I thought you said being in the Spice Girls mm, yeah. over there. I don't remember that. He, he replaced Jerry after she left. <laughs> no one noticed. No, nobody three, noticed. Three months. And C-3PO has one silver leg. Yeah, that, that is true. Yes, that is true. true. Yeah. <laughs> that is a weird thing, though, wasn't it? When mm-hmm. that was in our group, everyone was like, that can't be true. And then you look and go, bloody hell. <laughs> So, Peter, what do you think is the best technique to clean patios? I knew we'd go back to that again. <laughs> My father-in-law bought a pressure washer for his patio mm-hmm. and just fucked it all up. He just used this pressure washer and he took all the concrete out from the bits in between. He had to pay a man to come and relay his patio. Tragic. Yeah, he keeps offering to lend me it and I politely turn him down. I was waiting for a punchline there. <laughs> no, there's no, 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 no punchline, he did. He, he, he had a nice new patio, he bought his pressure washer and it took all the concrete out. Yeah. Have you laid your concrete properly between the... I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to use resin. Yeah, I, w- I, w- I would do. Yeah, I'd use resin. Yeah, yeah. I, I use resin. Yeah. I prefer resin. Definitely. Oh, really? Because I wasn't stronger. sure, but if you are confirming that's the right thing to it do, then the, of course are, that is what I'll do. It's like. the Mandela effect, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you think of Scorpion King? Not seen the Scorpion King. It's worth a watch, actually. Hmm. I remember the Scorpion King being not nearly as good as the Mummy movies. Yeah, but it's very different, isn't it? Yeah. It goes into the actual sort of serious folklore of the Scorpion King itself. So it's a bit more like a... Biblical Which epic. We I got suppose. in the first five minutes of the yeah. Mummy Returns, and probably yeah. didn't need yeah. to go into any more detail. Yeah, so it's two and a half hours of that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a problem a lot of those sort of prequels, origin stories have where you know where every major character is at the end of the film, mm. and therefore there's very little jeopardy. But what's the um, best prequel? Can I have a bit of a cheat with The Godfather 2? I knew you were going for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is part prequel. Mm. That would mm. be the. That, that works. Which brings us neatly onto the offer. Which mm. you absolutely have to watch. The offer is the story of the making of the original Godfather movie. That, that on paper doesn't sound like a 10 part series. Yeah. I mean, it, I didn't mm. want to watch it, but I couldn't refuse. So. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you shouldn't refuse because it is absolutely brilliant and almost as good as the original movie itself. It is 
absolutely superb. The, just the struggles they had to get to get this movie made in the first place, including all the trouble from the mafia. And what's so clever about the series is that, 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 that the classic scenes in The Godfather are mirrored in scenes in the real world as well. Mm-hmm. And is that true or is that a dramatic convention? Uh, true. They may have made it a bit more dramatic, but mm-hmm. the, the situations actually happen. So it's all, it's mm-hmm. all, it's all truthful. And it, it, it focuses around um, Coppola and the producer. I can't remember his name is now. Uh, Robert Evans. Evans. Uh, Evans. Uh, Mario Puzo are the kind of the main characters in it. And just their fight to get the whole thing made. And it, it's beautiful, and it's silly, and it's funny, and it's clever. And the two female characters in it who appear at, at a first glance just to be like the secretaries become like the most important thing in the film. They're really strong female characters. Kind of nail-biting in many ways. It makes you feel like even though you know the film got made, you're worried that it might not get made. Mm, uh, you're actually on the edge of your seat on every episode. I absolutely highly recommend it. It's something what, you must what watch. Film? What film? Godfather. It's the Mandela the Effect. Office. Never heard of it. You know, that's the Mandela Effect. Yeah, no, you, that, you just imagine the, the film. Yeah, that's, <laughs> Everyone that, thinks that's it the exists. Heineken Effect. Yeah. <laughs> that is all for today. Thank you so much for listening. Nerdfest will be back in a few weeks' time. Until then, check out our social media pages. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we would love it if you like the show and you are willing to leave us a review. In fact, John, what limits are you willing to go to to express our gratitude to everyone who leaves us a review? I'm going to do absolutely nothing but leave you with a niggly memory that I had done. <laughs> <laughs> to leave the Mandela effect in now. <laughs> Until then, you've been listening to... A man who's off to build a patio. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be listening to a... No, don't give it an alternative option. <laughs> a man whose name is Hindi for no thank you. <laughs> a man who wants some beady, beady, beady. <laughs> a man whose offer you can refuse. And a woman who thinks that if Leonardo DiCaprio is so turned off by women over the age of 25, he could always consider a CGI girlfriend with effective de-aging technology. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That will not make any sense. I thought you were going to say, over 25, then you, then sadly, Leonardo, you've missed the best shag of your life. (laughs) 